اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين verse number 127 of surah araf اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وقال الملأ من قوم فرعون أتذر موسى وقومه ليفسدوا في الأرض ويذرك وعالهتك قال سنقتل أبناءهم ونستحي نساءهم وإنا فوقهم قاهرون The elites of Pharaoh's people said Will you leave Moses and his people to cause corruption in the land? and to abandon you and your gods. He said, we will kill their sons and spare their women, and indeed we are dominant over them. Uh, this is the continuation of the story of Musa and Pharaoh. After the Pharaoh and his magicians were defeated in that big uh, show of, of power and uh, As we had in other verses, after they were defeated, they were defeated and they returned humiliated. Now, after Pharaoh returned to his palace, of course, he was quite dizzy. He didn't know what to do. That was a big defeat. It was a show of force, of theological force, so to speak, because the Sahara, the magicians came with the slogan of with the dignity of Pharaoh we will be victorious and now that dignity was gone so for for a while Pharaoh didn't know what to do until he summoned the magicians and told them why did you prostrate why did you believe in Musa and they said of course that was our deal you said that if we were defeated defeated, we would all believe in him, including yourself. And he said, Before I allow you, you did believe, so you disobeyed me, and he killed them. Now, what happened to Musa and Banu Israel after that? Pharaoh did not dare to touch Musa because of the signs he had seen. He was certain in his inner soul that Musa is from God, is, has a power from God. And this is what we have in Surah Naml. وَجَحَدُوا بِهَا وَاسْتَيْقَنَتْهَا أَنفُسُهُمْ ظُلْمًا They denied it, they defied it, while they had certainty in themselves that it was true. This was out of zulm and olaw, out of arrogance and out of uh, wrongdoing that they did it. So Pharaoh was thinking that if he do anything, did he do anything with Musa, something bad would fall upon his kingdom. So he did not touch Musa. He just left Musa. Musa left to the Medina to Ibranin, the city of the Banu Israel, and started preaching there. And Pharaoh did not allow Banu Israel to leave the Egypt. And uh, uh, certainly after that uh, 
defeats of magicians, some Coptic people, some Egyptians also were inclined towards Musa and his religion. And this is why the elite from the, uh, from the Pharaoh's people, they were alarmed. That what is this? Musa is free in the land. He does whatever he wants. He preaches freely among Banu Israel. And Coptics are also going to him, believing in him. So they were alarmed. They came to Pharaoh. First of all, they were somehow uh, complaining why Pharaoh didn't do anything about this. As I said, Pharaoh was quite apprehensive of doing anything against Musa. So what, he, what they told him, The elite among the Pharaoh's people told him, Will you leave Musa and his people? to cause corruption in the land. What corruption they called in the land? First of all, Musa was, of course, preaching that your God is different, Pharaoh has no power, and he cannot do anything. This was one corruption. He was actually uh, freeing Banu Israel from the bonds of fear that they had from Pharaoh. And secondly, some Egyptians were converting to the religion of Musa. This was the corruption that they were doing on the earth. Otherwise, Pharaoh, Musa was not actually uh, mobilizing his people to do anything violent against Pharaoh. And during the whole years, now we will see that several years passed that Pharaoh didn't allow Musa and his people to leave Egypt. During all those years, Musa and his people were quite peaceful. The reason was not, as we may think, that because Musa's religion was not a violent religion because Musa knew that they have no power. Had they made the first move against Pharaoh and his people in a violent way, they would have been finished. So Musa was quite uh, clever in this, choosing a policy of peaceful preaching, asking permanently and repeatedly, requesting Pharaoh, allow us to leave the land. And Pharaoh didn't allow that. Now, after the elites among the people of Pharaoh complained to him, he took a measure. What measure was that? We will kill their sons and spare their women. Now, this was a very severe measure taken by Pharaoh that anyone believing in Musa will kill their sons. Now, it's not clear sons, whether newborns or up to what age, is not mentioned here. This is different from the previous killing, which Pharaoh had done out of fear of Musa coming to this world. This is a second measure that he's taken after Musa is there, and this was something which really, really tormented Banu Israel and deterred them from believing in Musa. So, Sa, you know, Sanuqatulu Sa is the letter for denoting future, that soon we will do that, meaning that we will announce that whoever believes in Musa will kill their sons. Not everyone, of course, whoever believes in Musa 
will kill their sons. Now, what about if they resort to uh, to to violence, if they uprise against us? Of course, they were insignificant, absolutely. We know the population of Banu Israel at that time was not very small. They were a few hundred thousand people. However, Pharaoh was so sure of his power, and rightly he was so sure of his power, that he knew that any move would be uh, would be quietened very quickly. That's why he says, We have dominant power over them. They cannot do anything. If we wish to finish them, we can finish them. However, now he was First of all, he didn't want to use all those slaves. And secondly, he didn't want to concede defeat. Otherwise, had he let Musa take Bani Israel out of Egypt, everything would have been finished. He didn't want to do that. So, this is the most difficult time for Musa. Now, he has come, he has shown shown the signs, Pharaoh was defeated. However, he cannot do anything now. He cannot help his people. Pharaoh kills them, tortures them, torments them. He cannot do anything about it. And they, you can imagine how the complaints would have been addressed towards him. If you are a prophet, where is your power? If you are from God, where is your stuff? Where is your, your, your miracles? What can you do for us? So the complaints started among Banu Israel. And this was a measure of Pharaoh actually, to defeat Musa in his own people, rather than defeating him by Egyptians. So what Musa would have said, of course, Musa is just a human being. He cannot, he doesn't have a power to do anything, the power to do anything, unless if God wishes. So what he says now, there is nothing coming from God, of course. No help at the moment. قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ اِسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ The only thing Musa could do, he said to his people, turn to Allah for help and be patient. اِسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ Now, اِسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ means that you cannot seek help from me. This is something this help which should come to the community, to the nation, all of you should ask for it. And, of course, you should have patience, because that doesn't come very quickly. إِسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ وَاسْبِرُوا إِنَّ الْأَرْضَ لِلَّهِ يُورِثُهَا مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ The earth belongs to Allah. And he gives its inheritance to whomever he wishes. That means Pharaoh is just an instrument here. Pharaoh cannot do anything. Allah, now the land belongs to Pharaoh. He has the power. He, he, he believes that he is the possessor of everything. Tomorrow Allah may take it from him and give it to you as an inheritance, actually, because they, are, they will perish and the land will come to you. However, this is this world. The ending, aqiba, the other world belongs to muttaqin. So even if you are persecuted in this world, do not worry. We will have the life after. Wal aqibatu lil muttaqin. Of course, this was very difficult for Banu Israel to accept. And therefore, in Surah Yunus, uh, we have 
a more detailed version of this sort of conversation between Musa and his people. Uh, Surah Yunus chapter 10, verses number 82 onwards. Now, there, as I said, the details of the story should be sought in different surahs. You cannot get all the details in one surah. Because every piece, piece of detail is related to one concept, which is, of course, uh, included in, in, in the related surah. Now, in Surah Yunus, verse number 83, sorry, it says, فَمَا آمَنَ لِمُوسَى no one believed in Musa except a line of family of his people. Not Banu Israel, not all of them, just a few people, a small family, and that was his own family. So, what we understand is that after Pharaoh took that measure, everyone in Banu Israel even rejected. Although apparently, in their heart they may have believed in Musa, but apparently they rejected Musa. They did not believe in him. Or they did not declare that they believed in him. Whenever they, 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 they were met by Pharaoh people, they said, we do not believe in Musa. So, but here... Of course, what Allah is mentioning is that uh, it, it was not even an apparent thing. They didn't even dare to believe in their hearts in Musa. Fama amana le Musa. No one believed in Musa. From among his people. Just a family in his, uh, in his people. Why, despite seeing all those uh, miracles, despite seeing the serpent, the staff turning into serpent, despite seeing the magician's defeat, out of fear from Pharaoh and his elite, that they would persecute him, persecute them. And Pharaoh was a haughty tyrant. He was extravagant in whatever measure he wanted to take. He did not hesitate to kill. He did not hesitate to shed blood. This is, this is the meaning of Musraf here means extravagance in tyranny. Not, of course, Musraf in the meaning that we understand. He was extravagant in tyranny. He did not hesitate to kill, to maim, to do whatever he wanted. What Musa could do here, another statement of Musa, it, it shows that Musa preached his people for patience. وَقَالَ مُوسَى يَا قَوْمِ إِن كُنْتُمْ آمَنْتُمْ بِاللَّهِ فَعَلَيْهِ تَوَكَّلُ If you believe in God, rely on him. Of course, we can imagine, you put yourself in Musa's shoes and put yourself in Banu Israel's shoes and imagine I mean, if you are in Musa's shoes, you would see that you have actually come to help these people, and this is the, this is the, the, the eventuality, what has happened, that they are tormented even more than before Musa came. And you put yourself in the shoes of Banu Israel. What they see, they see only 
terrible consequences of their belief, of their faith in Musa. Terrible consequences of Musa's coming, actually. So it was the most difficult time for Banu Israel, and it didn't went away quickly. It took several years. And this shows that really if we want to achieve something, we have to be patient. We have to persevere. It doesn't come easily, especially if a nation wants to repent. If a person wants to repent, it's very easy. Very easy, of course, with its own conditions. But if a nation wants to repent, it's very difficult. They have to go through lots of trials and turbulences before Allah changes their situation. So, here, verse number 128 says what Musa said in Surah Yunus in a different terms. قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ اسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ وَاصْبِرُوا إِنَّ الْأَرْضَ لِلَّهِ The earth belongs to God. He gives it to inheritance to whomever he wants. But Banu Israel, of course, couldn't take this. قَالُوا now, this is, of course, the people apart from that Zurriya, that family who believed in him. We were tormented before you came to us and after you came to us. So what sort of mission is this? What have you brought for us? What is this revolution that you are making? Look what Pharaoh is doing to us. The impatience, of course, is natural, usually. We were tormented before you came to us, and after you came to us. He said, maybe your Lord will destroy your enemy and make you successes in the land, and then he will see how you act. Apparently, there was a long conversation between them. There were people like Qarun. Qarun was in, among Banu Israel. He was the wealthiest man probably in Egypt after Pharaoh. He, his people, his family, they were complaining, what is this mission that you have brought for us? What is this uh, gift from Allah that you, you claim that you have brought to save us? And uh, of course, Musa was saying that you, should, you shouldn't lose hope. But people... In such a situation, they say these are all just uh, 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 rosy uh, promises that you give us. How should we have hope in such a situation? Have hope. Maybe your Lord. It's hoped. It's hoped that your Lord will destroy your enemy and make you the successors. And then he will see how you will act. This is a warning against people like Qarun, that you will say that now we are persecuted under Pharaoh. Allah will make you the successors, and will see how you will act. This is actually the meaning of some of the statements, even in the Bible, that Allah doesn't have a chosen people. Allah chooses people, yes, makes them chosen to see how they act, and if they don't act correctly, then he just throws them away and choose another people. So people are chosen one after another so that Allah would test them, put them to trial. Now you may say, if this was the situation of Banu Israel, why they were saved? 
Why, after all, Allah helped them? Because Allah is not going to help these people. Those people who are complaining, before you came, we are tormented. Now that you have come, we are tormented. Before you come, you are an ill-omened person, actually. Because just before you, your coming, our sons were killed. Now that you have come, our sons are killed. So what type of person, what type of omen you have with you? So why Allah saved them? Despite all these, despite all these complaining, did they deserve to be saved while they were, they were having such an attitude towards Musa? Now, yes, it was because of that Zurriya, that small family, that Allah saved everyone. Now, again, in Surah Yunus, we see that when Musa is advising them to patience, what they say if you are Muslims, if you have submitted, rely on God and have, be patient. فَقَالُوا That is the That is a small number of people. فَقَالُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ تَوَكَّلْنَا Yes, we rely on God. We are not afraid of anything. We know that you are the Prophet of God, you have the mission. Rabbana la taj'alna fitnatan lil al-zalimin. So they collectively had this prayer in their heart. Do not make us a target for the oppressors. Wanajjana birahmatika min al-qawmil kafirin. And save us, deliver us with your mercy, with this kafir group. So, yes, although the people as a whole the majority, although, were having such an attitude against Musa, but that small group of people, and Allah saved everyone because of that patience and perseverance of that uh, group. Now, of course, Allah wasn't leaving Pharaoh and his people to do whatever they want. So what happened after a few years of such a persecution. Verse number 130. We afflicted Pharaoh's clan with droughts and loss of produce so that they may take admonition. So, Senin, usually Sana means year, isn't it? But Sana is a year which is not uh, a good year, which doesn't have lots of produce and fruits, is called sana. A good year is called arm, usually in old Arabic. A good year is called arm, a bad year is called sana. So the, the years of drought are, are usually called senin. So, لَقَدْ أَخَذْنَا عَلَى فَرْعَوْنَ بِالسَّنِينَ We afflicted Pharaoh's clan with droughts. One year they had harvest, the other year they didn't have or continuously they had droughts for several years. And of course they lost they lost lots of their produce, whether in farming or in any, any other thing, just as a reminder. You should of course we should have in mind that although Allah is helping Banu Israel here out of the oppression, Allah is also giving time to the Egyptian people, 
to come to mind. He doesn't want to destroy them quickly. He doesn't want to punish them quickly. So years passed, and you can imagine, as I said, this Akhadna ala Fir'auna bis-Sanin means year passed like this. Drought. So on both sides, on both sides of this conflict, we had difficulty and hardship. On the side of Fir'aun, they had difficulty. On the side of Banu Israel, they had difficulty. Allah just wanted this to end peacefully. And Fir'aun allowed Banu Israel to leave Egypt. So, I wanted them to take admonition. However, they didn't do it. Instead, what they did. Instead, what they did. فَإِذَا جَاءَتْهُمْ حَسَنَةٌ قَالُوا لَنَا هَذِهِ وَإِن تُصِبْهُمْ سَيِّئَةٌ يَتَّيَّرُوا بِمُوسَى وَمَنْ مَعَهُ أَلَا إِنَّمَا طَائِرُهُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُ Whenever any good came to them, they would say, this is our due. This is because of our gods. Because This is because of Egypt. This is because of our nation. We deserve such good things. Damn to Musa and his people. Now it's good time for us our gods are helping us. So, فَإِذَا جَعَتْهُمُ الْحَسَنَ قَالُوا لَنَا هَذِهِ وَإِن تُسِبْهُمْ سَيِّعَةٌ And if any ill visited them, like this senin coming one year after another, in intervals, يَتَّيَّرُوا بِمُوسَى وَمَمَّعَهِ They took it for ill omens connected to Musa and Banu Israel. They said, it's because of Banu Israel that we are being afflicted by this. Because Musa has come and is making corruption on the earth, our gods are angry with us. So they are bad omen among us. And this is always the attitude of human being, isn't it? Instead of taking admonition, being reminded by such afflictions, they try to justify things in a different way. In absolutely wrong way. And this is what they did. Absolutely in wrong way they justified. Allah says we wanted them to be, to be reminded. However they say that, no, of course our gods are helping us when they came good. It's Musa and his people who are bringing us bad, bad luck and bad omen. Yattayyaru bin Musa. Yattayyaru. Tiyarah is from Ta'ir. Ta'ir is bird. Usually, of course, because in Arabs, in old Arab times, they used to take omens from where the birds flew, from the right-hand side or left-hand side. That's why tiyarah from tayr has come as a term for omen, good omen or evil omen. Allah, beware, innama ta'iruhum Allah. Their omen or their ill omen is with Allah. Now, this is, of course, something we need, which needs explanation. Would ill omen comes from Allah? Or any omen, ill omen or bad omen? Now, the Quran tells us two different stories. One, that the ill omen comes from you, human beings, yourselves. And the other is that it comes from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not from anything else on this earth, either from you or from God. Now, in Surah Yasin, قَالُوا إِنَّا تَطَيَّرْنَا بِكُمْ لَإِلَّا تَنْتَهُوا لَنَرْجُمَنَّكُمْ وَلَيَمَسَّنَّكُمْ مِنَّا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ قَالُوا طَائِرُكُمْ مَعَكُمْ Your ill omen is with you. 
So in Surah Yunus, we have, your ill omen is with you. Ta'irukum ma'akum a'in dhukkertum. If you are reminded, if you think, if you ponder, you will see that ill omen is with you. Here, ala ta'irukum Allah. Or in Surah Naml, for example. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا إِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا فَإِذَا هُمْ فَرِقَانِ يَخْتَصِمُونَ And what they said, قَالُوا اتَّيَّرْنَا بِكَ وَبِمَنْ مَعَكَ قَالَ طَائِرُكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Your real omen is with Allah. Not because of us. It's not because of us that you are afflicted. It's because of Allah wants to afflict you. Now, if you want to analyze these two or put these two together to make a compromise, is that, yes, of course, the ill omen is with us. It's because of our actions. There is no such a thing as omen, actually. Allah is telling us in these uh, sort of statements that there is no such a thing as omen. It comes all, it's all initiates from you. And when it initiates from you, then of course the consequence comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So your ill omen is with you because of what you do, because of the evil, because corruption. And this corruption has a consequence with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah brings you that consequence. It's not because of us, as Musa is saying actually, or Saleh was saying. It's not because of us. It's because Allah is sending the consequences of what you do to you. And that is the ill omen of you. So here, Allah says, beware. I inform you. Allah, innama ta'iruhum Allah. These were the consequences of what they did, which they regard as ill omen, which came to them from Allah. Now, instead of Again, taking admonition, and instead of letting Banu Israel just to go, one is really amazed why Pharaoh and his people were so adamant to keep Banu Israel in their land, despite all these difficulties. Nothing, I mean, no analysis can, can come to mind except arrogance, that they did not want to concede defeat. They felt that if they had, had they, had they allowed Banu Israel to leave and Musa take them out of Egypt, it would have been a, a big humiliation for them. So that's why they didn't. Now in verse 132, They said, now it, it shows that they really knew that what was coming to them, all these afflictions, was because of, were because of Musa. Because Musa had a powerful personality that they believed that could bring all these things to, to their nation. However, they said, of course they said means Pharaoh and his mala, his people. When, whatever sign you may bring to us to bewitch us, let us haranabha. We are not going to believe in you. Now, apparently what in reality happened was that whenever these things happened, for example, a drought year, whenever it came, Musa went to Pharaoh and said, look, a drought is coming. And uh, let us go and free us and free your nation. But Pharaoh said, no, I do not allow. When that drought year was over, and uh, the good year came. Again, Musa went to Pharaoh and said, look, 
the difficulty is over. But it will, co- it will come, come again if you do not allow us to leave. And he said, no, I'm not going to allow you. So what here Pharaoh is t- saying to Musa is that whatever sign you may bring to bewitch us, you are bewitching us actually. You are putting a spell on us. This is not anything to do with God. We are not going to believe in you. Now, one question. Why didn't Pharaoh finish Musa? Why didn't he kill him? There were two reasons for this. One was that he was afraid. He didn't know what will happen, what will be the consequence. And this shows in his heart he knew very well that Musa was the prophet of God, was from God. And he thought that if he touches Musa, he he thought he's free to do whatever he wanted to do with Banu Israel. But if he touches Musa, something bad would happen. So he didn't touch Musa. And there was one other thing that's in his own mala and in, in his own palace, there were people like Mu'min Ali Faraon who believed in Musa. And of course, they didn't reveal that. However, whenever Faraon wanted to make a decision against Musa, they somehow dissuaded him. They terrified him that this is not the right move. We may be afflicted by something. And of course, at the end, what happened was that he decided to kill Musa. And then Mu'min Ali Faraon came for and said, I would not allow you to kill Musa. And he was killed. And when he decided to kill Musa, uh, he wanted to justify it for his own mala, his people. And that's why he said, وَقَالَ فَرْعَوْنُ يَا هَمَانُ أَبْنَ لِي سَرْحًا لَعَلِّي أَبْلُغُ الْأَسْبَابِ أَسْبَابَ السَّمَاوَاتِ فَأَتَّلَى يَا هَمَانُ أَوْقَدْ لِي عَلَى الطِّينِ Make bricks. أَوْقَدْ لِي عَلَى الطِّينِ It was a very, of course, advanced sort of uh, technology at that time to make bricks with fire to bake bricks, so to speak, and uh, uh, make me a tower so that I go up on the tower and see whether Musa is right that he says that our God is in heaven. He just wanted to convince his people, and actually he did. Haman made a tower for him. He went up there, and after coming down, he said, I went up uh, on that tower. There was no God. And he wanted to justify this for his people to kill Musa. And eventually, of course, when he decided, the time did not allow him. So, after that, وَقَالُوا مَهْمَا تَأْتَنَا بِهِ مِنْ آيَةٍ لَتَسْحَرَنَا بَهَا فَمَا نَحْنُ لَكَ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ We send them clear signs. فَأَرْسَلْنَا عَلَيْهِمُ الطُّوفَانَ after that Sinin, after those drought years, and after Naqsim min al-Thamarat, reduction in produce, arsalna alayhim al-Tufana wal-Jarada wal-Qummala wal-Zafada. We sent against them flood, locusts, lice, frogs, and blood. Ayatin mufassalat, distinct signs. Mufassalat means that there were times between them. One year they were afflicted by something. Then Musa came to them and told them that if you, 
if you desist from uh, tormenting Banu Israel and letting us go, Allah will take this away from you. And they promised, and then they reneged in their promise, they didn't fulfill, and then another year, another thing comes. This is mean, the meaning of ayat and mufassalat. They were separate from each other. فَاسْتَكْبَرُوا وَكَانُوا قَوْمًا مُجْرَمِينَ They acted arrogantly and they were a guilty lot. Now, inshallah, about this verse, uh, we will uh, discuss in more details uh, next week. Uh, uh, the, the one lesson we take from this is how Allah is giving time to these people. How is he giving time? And how is he giving them signs? before he wants to destroy them. And this is the best example of how Allah acts with other people, with other nations, giving them time, sending them signs, and signs as clear as this, of course, is something which hastens the destruction. If the signs are not very clear, if they are vague, of course, then the destruction takes a long time. It, it will be prolonged. But if they are as sharp as this, this destruction comes sooner. Inshallah, we'll discuss this next week. Allah Thank you much indeed, Sheikh. Now, brothers and sisters, we are about uh, 15 minutes uh, to further discussion. Any any questions or any comments? Uh, anybody? Nizar, uh, Riyadh, from the sisters? Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed for your lecture. Thank Sheikh, you. um, listening to what you um, explained to us today, it seems almost a parallel situation as to what's happening in the world today. And we see many superpowers oppressing other states um, with their increasing um, uh, apparent power. Is this a very simplistic view, or is it, in your view, something that we can actually relate in this way? Well, I firmly believe that, yes, of course, this is, uh, this is an ongoing sort of situation with all people. And uh, the problem is that usually people, those who are oppressed, uh, are somehow terrified by these powers, and they somehow uh, submit to them. If they do not submit like those one dhurriya of Banu Israel, then Allah will help. And this is now the situation, especially with my country, <laughs> Iran. And uh, I feel that, uh, yes, we have to certainly persist and uh, uh, have patience. And if that is the case, Allah will help, inshallah. Thank you much indeed. Yeah, I think there is... Probably many of us may have had this similar kind of mm. uh, questions uh, in our mind. Any brothers and sisters? Uh? Yes, Ali? Assalamu alaikum. My question is a bit of a simplistic one regarding the killing of the sons both bef uh, before Moses uh, at his time and afterwards in, in the verses that we've just read. Um, was it something that was common at that time? Um, because it seems a bit counterintuitive if you're afraid of someone not to kill him, but to kill their sons and everyone in his tribes. Um, so that that sounds like 
you're asking for retribution. Um, and the second question was, his brother also survived, um, Harun, and all the other men in that tribe had survived the previous generation of the son's killing. So is this just a threat or was it actually carried out? Do we know? No, because uh, in the previous uh, phase of killing, uh, Harun was born before the decision was made to kill the sons. Not every son was killed in the previous phase, only the newborn, because there was the fear of a baby being born, a, a, a boy being born who destroyed. So anyone who was born before that time, they didn't have anything to do with it. Here, of course, in the second phase of killing, as I said, it's not very clear whether they, they, he threatened to kill the newborns or he threatened to kill sons to uh, specific age. It's not very clear, but of course it didn't happen widely because the majority did not believe in Musa, in Banu Israel, out of fear. So it only happened in that one family, and that one family we don't know how it happened. There is no details about this. And usually many exegetes have confused between the two, the two killings. They, they have thought that it was the same thing. So uh, they, they haven't gone into details about it. Yeah, thanks. I think uh, from what we have heard in the past, did you say, okay, it was a one killing, but now we know from you that there were two times. Because we haven't hadn't come up to this uh, no, no. stage of the story. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> not, not because of this uh, tafsir lectures, but... Uh, Say going back in the past as well, oh, okay. uh, there was some understanding like this. Well, my understanding was there. I don't know about yeah. others. But anyway, sisters, any sisters wants to? Yes. Uh, there's a mic uh, in the front. So you're talking on a nation level, but if we take it to an individual level, um, you are saying that um, ill omens are often as a direct consequence of stuff that people have done. Now, when something happens to an individual, like, I don't know, financial difficulties or um, an illness or something, everyone always says, oh, it's a test from Allah. He just wants to see how you deal with it. But is it that sometimes it's a direct consequence of what you've done and it's like a, in a way, like a punishment already on the earth as a consequence of a bad thing that you've done? Now, if we take it as bad omen, Allah is here talking about omen, okay, because people thought that there is bad omen or good omen. Allah here is telling that there is no such a thing as bad omen. It is all consequences of your acts, which of course is uh, given to you by Allah. So it is from you, it is from Allah. Uh, what happens to individuals and even to nations, sometimes it is because of the consequence of their actions. Sometimes it is because that is their share of existence. I mean, for example, some of us die at the age of 60, some 50, some 80. This may be our share of the existence in this world. It may have nothing to do with the consequences of our actions, actually. But uh, we always have to know that there are two things working together. One is what is destined for us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Maybe illness, maybe health, maybe poverty, maybe wealth. This is something which is distinct for every individual before, of course, uh, we come even to this world. And there are, of course, two types of rezq, one that, which is conditional of us trying to attain it, 
one which is unconditionally coming to us. So we cannot say that, that everything is with Allah, so we do not make any effort. No. There are two types of rizq, so to speak. One rizq that we have to attain it, actually possess it by our own efforts. The other rizq is which comes to us without that effort. So if we do not make effort, we do not get that part of rizq. And that rizq may be anything, knowledge, wealth, health, or whatever. That rizq which we may be uh, may, we may have to obtain it. Now, there are some other things which come as consequences of their action, whether good or evil. For example, if you make dua or if you do good to others, the consequences of that may come to you. And we say that this person has luck, for example, in that situation. But there is no luck. There is no such a thing as luck. In, in that case, in the second case, uh, I'm emphasizing we have to distinguish between two types of things. One which is distinct, the other which is consequences of what we do. And of course, uh, sometimes, yes, we may, uh, we may face consequences of our uh, evil actions. And that we regard as bad omen, but there is no such a thing as bad omen. It's just consequences. I don't know whether that's clear or not. Okay. Any other system before we come to the brother's side? I'd like to comprehend the adil of Allah, the justice. I often struggle to try and understand. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Fir'aun a chance, yeah? He gave another chance. By giving him another chance, the first chance, he probably slaughtered people. Now, those people who died because of the zulm of Iran didn't get another chance. They would have said, oh, uh, I wish you had given me. I know he knows better what he's doing. But you see, this comes to my mind. Why didn't Allah give the zalim a chance, the Muslim the, the a chance to try and come over Firon so that he would come to us? See, why Allah took his prerogative to give Firon that and not to the Muslim? You see, those who, who were killed, they, they will go probably to paradise. So they don't mind. It's Pharaoh who needs a chance not to go to hell. You see, So Allah should be more cautious about Pharaoh and his people. He should give them more time and more opportunities than others because they are actually taking themselves to hell and Allah wants to stop that. Others, uh, of course, uh, are in better situation and position than Pharaoh was. This is the first thing. The second thing is that, yes, of course, there is no justice if we think that everything is in this world. Everything is not settled in this world. Things will be settled later on in another world. As I said, if we think it's only this world, yes, we don't see justice, we don't see mercy, we don't see many things that uh, our mind uh, cannot calculate, actually. Sorry, how can I make this... How can I make this understand to somebody who doesn't believe in the whole after? You cannot. No, it's not possible. And uh, we have, uh, we have uh, one very beautiful hadith which says, Yawmul mazloom ala zalim ashaddu min yawmul zalim ala mazloom The day when mazloom is going to uh, take revenge of the zalim 
is much more severe than the day of Zalim over Mazlum. So all those people slaughtered by Pharaoh one day are going to have their revenge or have they, they, they demand their rights, their chances or whatever. So that is going to be much more severe than what we see in this world. As I said, if there is no Akhirah, you cannot explain many things about God which is going on in this world. Thank you, any brothers, sisters? Oh, yeah, Ali. Anybody? No. Uh, Nizar, you want to ask something? Assalamu alaikum. I told uh, Muhammad Reza only after the discussion of today's topic is over. If I may be allowed to raise a different subject, uh, would you be happy to talk about a different subject? Yeah. Um, I, I said to myself that I could have come and asked you in person, but I think the discussion might benefit everybody sitting around here. And the discussion is about Ziyarat uh, um, uh, Ashura. Um, I um, have recently just taken a little bit of interest into just understanding the depth of this. Uh, and the discussion that occurs around people around me. And uh, I haven't got a view yet, but I would just like to share some of my views with you, if I may. Um, before I go into the, the actual um, issue, I just want to clear a couple of things, and if you have a short answer to this couple of things, it would help me move to the crux of the matter. First of all, I believe that this Zanat Ashura um, uh, is from the fifth imam. Uh, Muhammad Bahir Ali Salam. Is that is is, that, is your understanding is my understanding correct? Sixth Imam or fifth? Fifth, imam? fifth yes. No, is it sixth? Okay, yeah. okay, but it is. It's from Imam Sixth Imam. Yes. My my next question is that uh, my next statement rather is that I am made to believe, although I must confess that I have not actually read myself, that um, Ayatollah Fadlullah himself uh, concluded that it is it is not. Uh, it, it is zaif, uh, but at the same time, I'm made to believe again that the majority of the ulama and the scholars of the Shi'i world consider this to be authentic. Um, so if I then move on to the crux of the matter, um, and I have read the translation a few more times, even in the last 24 hours, my, um, my, my concern is relating to when it mentions by numbers the first and the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth they mentions as Yazid himself. So the interpretation of that to me is that it has to be the genealogy of Yazid, so if uh, ancestry of Yazid, say so fifth is Yazid, I guess fourth is Mavia, I guess third is Abu Sufyan. And it goes along that line, perhaps. Although I have heard an interpretation that the first and the second and the third could be Abu Bakr, Omar, and Uthman. I'd just like to know where you stand in the interpretation of that particular part. Yeah, very good question. Uh, especially in our time where we, yes. <laughs> we are facing more. lots yeah. of troubles yeah. among uh, uh, Muslims. Uh, I think one one thing should be very clear, and that is any uh, fitna, among, fitna among Muslims is really 
something that we have to uh, to condemn and disunity and creating uh, hatred among Muslims is something that we have to certainly discourage and uh, unfortunately there are some on both sides which are encouraging this who are encouraging this and making it something as, as, a, as a blemish on the face of the, the whole Islam secondly uh, if we look into this Ziyara Ashura it's very interesting even when it says Thumma al-Anithaniya wa thalith wa rabi' The very interesting thing is that it doesn't name anything, anyone. I mean, now we publicly see that there are Shias who name people. And, uh, of course, uh, they hurt other Muslims' feelings by that. And Ayatollah Khamenei actually said that this is haram. Not, nothing should be done in this, in this vein. And that's why many Shias have come complaining and uh, condemning Ayatollah Khamenei for that, why you say this. However, this is something quite reasonable. And we see in all our traditions, which are recommended for us to recite publicly where everyone uh, uh, can, can hear and can see, you see that there is this ambiguity always. They don't want us, our they don't want us to uh, go and create fitna among Muslims by naming people. So I don't think it's very important how we interpret who these people are. The important thing is the sort of equivocal uh, statement which is there that is purposefully equivocal so that the unity among Muslims is is kept although it tries to also preserve the history. And this is something happened. We are, of course, criticizing it. We are not happy about what happened. There were certain people who were hated by both Shia and Sunni, like Yazid, like Omar ibn Sa'ad. Yes, we, we don't shy away doing that, saying that Allah cursed them. But about those individuals who are respected by some and disrespected by others, you see that it's always kept vague, not mentioned by name. And even if you see there are people report some traditions mentioning by name, it has not been a habit, so we have to judge those traditions based on it. It has not been a habit our our salam or their close companions to desecrate and to disregard the, uh, the the belief of other Muslims. Never they have done so. So I think Ziyara Ashura actually teaches us that lesson rather than anything else. Rather than coming out and saying that look, Ziyara Ashura is cursing and we, we will curse. Well, the Quran curses. Those who torment or annoy the Prophet, Allah and his Prophet, Allah curses them. Now, this is of course very vague, isn't it? Who are those who annoy the Prophet and Allah and his Prophet? It's very vague. Allah leaves it at that. Our traditions also leave it at that. It's just curse. But not mentioned particularly by name, about those who are controversial, of course. I come back on this. So how do you feel if I were to say 
Uh, first of all, I make a statement that when um, Lady Zainab, Bibi Zainab stood in the court, she did not utter a single word against the first three caliphs. Yes, no. that's a fact. Yeah. So, yeah, of course. Yes. As I said, this has been a habit of our um, completely, sure. from Amirul Mu'minin up to the very end. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Secondly, if I if I say that Zarat Ashura is authentic, uh, I believe everything it says. Um, under the current environment, modern environment of strife between the Shi and the Sunni, if I were to conclude in my own belief that this ziyara of Ashura today, I should recite as much as I want, but in my own home and in my own confinement, but not in a public domain because of the risk of misinterpretation and the consequence of that. How do you feel about that view? Actually, ziyara Ashura, the authentic part is up to the, to the uh, Assalamu alaikum Abu Abdullah, to the end of that statement. The rest is not famous. And this is what uh, Sayyid uh, Allama Murtaza Askari actually mentioned as well, that in old versions of Ziyara Ashura, we don't have that Allahumma al-an awwala zaliman thumma thaniya wa thalim. We don't have that. Allahumma khussa anta awwala zaliman billa'na minni. We don't have that statement in old versions of Ziyara Ashura. So what is authentic of Ziyara Ashura is up to that salam, up to the end of that salam, which of course is not insulting any uh, uh, respected personality in other faiths. So I don't think there's anything wrong with reciting that in public. Okay. That's coming to that I have had instances where Ahl Sunnah brother, sisters participating in a Shia gathering walk away because of the full recitation of the Tashura. Mm-hmm. So I got practical example in front of me. And I also wanted to test this Ziyarat Ashura and I will now do it up to the line that you are suggesting with my Sunni friends to read in front of them with it and see how they react to that. And if they, if they agree up to that line that you draw, then I 100% agree with you that that should be yeah. recited in public, but, that's not, good. but not beyond. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Would that be a fair conclusion? Not beyond. Yeah, I think so. And one thing we have to bear in mind is that without insulting and disrespecting others, we have to preserve the truth as well. That's important. Absolutely. I mean, Hussein salah wanted to convey a message. And if we say that we do not, because because uh, that would bring disunity now, we, we just forget about it. Well, if we, if we want to forget about it, Hussein salam could have forgotten about it as well. Yeah. Couldn't but, have But make... Imam Hussein really doesn't want us to forget the message, the very crux of the message yeah. that he fought injustice. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you forget my enemies, don't forget my message. That's right. It's yeah. a message yeah. far, yeah. far over exceeds Historical message. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anybody has any comments on this or wants clarification? Please. Uh, this is the chance you have. Otherwise, uh, Sheikh, you will miss. Okay, Riyadh. Uh, oh, sorry, you had it. Uh, uh, 
Thank you very much, Nizar, for raising this very important topic, and thank you very much, Sheikh, for engaging with us in this discussion. Um, I think that a couple of things would help the discussion further. One is that uh, we need to have a definition of what curse is, because what we tend to do is translate it to the English version of curse, which means swearing at somebody or um, using bad words against somebody. So we need to have an understanding, certainly amongst ourselves, of what a curse is. The other thing that's very important is for us to actually look at the very point that you raised. That is to say, there is an element of historic fact, whereas we can say that for the time being it is appropriate for us not to concentrate on that too much. But the inalienable fact is that um, a historical event did take place. And how do we preserve the memory of that whereas at the same time we don't offend our brothers in Islam. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. You, you mean how we can do it? Well, in the same way that Amirul Mu'minin did it. You, you see, for example, Amirul Mu'minin, when he was uh, uh, leading an army, his army were not Shias per se, as we are today. They had firm belief in Khulafa, for example. So how did Amirul Mu'minin mobilize all those people? By avoiding mentioning something. They knew that Amirul Mu'minin was, of course, not happy with what had happened and all those history. However, they avoided to, uh, to bring up issues which would cause friction and faction among among the truth, for example, among and actually this measure of uh, somehow uh, separating people on this issue was a tactic which was used always against Shia forces. I mean, in the army of Zaid, for example, the first thing they asked him was, "What is your view on Abu Bakr and Omar?" And he didn't want to answer. And uh, they actually. The question was usually raised, because Shias were very quiet about that. The questions were usually raised by Sunnis to somehow uh, leave the Shias uh, defenseless, saying that to other people, look, these are the people who have these views. And Shias, as I said, they were always quiet about this. Ziyar Ashura is very carefully phrased so that this doesn't happen. As I said, Muawiyah was someone who, of course, was disputed among Shias and Sunnis. Many Sunnis believe that Muawiyah goes to hell. So I don't think there's anything wrong if we talk against Muawiyah. We had the Mu'tazilis. This is Ibn Abel Hadid, the Sunni Mu'tazili scholar, who says, I believe firmly that everyone in the army of Muawiyah, including himself, would go to hell. So this is something which is not specific to Shias. But going beyond that... Even if anything in past history may have, I mean, in certain parts of history, it may have been uh, the case that people uh, thought it's, it's good to, 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 to come out and talk against the, the caliphs. What we understand today from the Quran, from the faith, from our uh, seerah of Aemma, is that, and from reason, is that we should not bring about issues, bring up issues which 
of course, causes this hatred and animosity amongst Muslims. This is something very, very clearly seen in the seerah of our Aima, and we have to do it. How, of course, it's very clear. We should not go out and start uh, uh, disrespecting these people uh, because we say that, yes, we have in some traditions that we have to curse them or such, something like that. To be more? I just had to follow up question if that's okay. Thank you. Sheikh, I, um, we did actually discuss perhaps um, the definition of the curse and we all have our own views of what that might be. What's your interpretation of what a curse is? Well, curse is, curse is firstly not swearing, of course. It's not sub. Curse only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we may just invoke the curse of Allah on someone. We cannot curse ourselves someone. We just may invoke. However, differentiating between swearing and curse, although it's good, because swearing is just a bad demeanor. It's, it's bad etiquette. It's, it's bad even for idolaters. I, I mean, against idolaters. It's it, it bad against them as well. However, if we say that we curse but we do not swear, then the answer may be, well, cursing is even worse than swearing. You are actually invoking the wrath of God on someone. So why, uh, for example, it's just like, for example, if, you, if someone says, I curse Ali ibn Abi Talib, I mean, could we accept? They say, we do not swear at him, but we curse, at him, curse him. This is something which no soul can accept, actually. However, as I said, curse is something which is uh, uh, invoked from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not that bad etiquette of swearing at something, sub, at something or someone, uh, but still it is disrespect for, for people. Just a final point. Um, one of the interpretations that I've had of the word curse is that all that the person who is cursing is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do is to withdraw the extra mercy that he has for the believers from that person because they have infringed uh, the, the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's about calling upon justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah. to have a retribution against that person because they have exceeded the boundary. Is that... A, yeah, An acceptable yeah, of course. interpretation of the word curse to say if you curse somebody, you're saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they've exceeded your bounds. Withdraw the extra mercy that you reserve for the Muslimin from that person. You, that, that's, that's all it means. Yeah, that, that's true, but that doesn't solve the problem. You see, the, the problem is that they say, radiyallahu anhum, and we say, may Allah curse them. So it doesn't solve the problem. I don't think it does solve the problem. Thank you. Come on, please. Sheikh, you mentioned that, um, so in the part which you said is well known, um, there's no disrespect, but then right now you also mentioned that, um, that cursing in this sense is, is a sign of disrespect. So uh, before, before the end of where you mentioned, you still do have the la'anallahu bani umayyad khatiman, for example, um, and, and al-ziyadah, as in there's large families which are mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Now, disrespect means that, you see, the majority of Muslims respect the first three caliphs. 
And the Shia do not respect. This is not something, of course, uh, uh, hidden. Everyone knows about this. And this is not something that we want to uh, somehow pretend that, no, we respect. No, it's quite clear. We have uh, questions about what happened in the history. We think that the right of Ali ibn Abi Talib was taken away. We think that Prophet was disobeyed by those people. This is, of course, something which is very clear in Shi'i belief and history. And in Sunni belief and history, they, they think otherwise. They say, no, this is not the version. The, this version of history that you believe in is not correct. We believe in another version of the history. So about those people who are highly respected in another faith, just like if people are highly respected in our faith, if the Sunnis want to, uh, to curse or want to disrespect, we get annoyed. In the same way, those personalities, if we disrespect, they get annoyed. However, about Ali Bani Umayyah or Ali Ziyad, I think there is a, a sort of semi-consensus about all Muslims regarding their evil. There's nothing wrong. This is not disrespecting the views of Ahl-Sunnah because their views is not much different from our views about Banu Umayyah. We are, although we have minorities among them who now are trying to somehow uh, make Yazid and Banu Umayyah as holy people, but these are very minorities among the Sunni. So we, we do not, of course, here we do not make any uh, sort of uh, uh, concession, so to speak, as Sunnis shouldn't make any concession to these people. Yes, of course, they did, they did kill Hussein salam. They have to be cursed because of that. Sunnis should curse them as Shias would curse them. And Sunni had in, in the past, have in the past cursed them in their books. I can bring many instances of Sunni scholars cursing Yazid, Banu Umayyah, and, uh, and others. So this is not a disrespect to the Sunni beliefs, although it may, there may be a minority who have very wrong ideas about them. The main and the most important thing is about the personalities who are absolutely immaculate in the Sunni world. Although we think that it's wrong, no, no one is immaculate unless the 14 Ma'asumin, in our view. However, they regard them to be immaculate. So we should not somehow hurt their, uh, their feelings and their religious beliefs by coming out and cursing them. Do you want to add anything? Any other brothers, sisters? Uh, so it seems that uh, Sheikh, it is our own fault of misinterpreting or giving a different meaning to what it has in it. And that actually is the cause of all this, if it is a cause of facade or misunderstanding. It's our own bad interpretation. Like, like, like the Lanas that we just discussed. We, we misinterpret the Lana. Yeah. As a swear, for example. No, no, no. On, on, on the on people, on the personalities. Don't want to name them, but sometimes people say, say for example, one, two, three, but then, then it ends with the fourth, so it can't be Mamali. So then they they say, if it's one, two, three, is the first three. Then when they go to the fourth, then then it continues. So they say, okay, it can't be one, two, three. Otherwise, it will include fourth Imam Ali as well. So. 
Then they say that it's some, some, somebody else, some other personalities. No, you see, as I said, this has been left, this has been taught in this way so that we do not come out openly disrespecting beliefs of others. I think it was Allama Helli once, uh, there were some people uh, actually uh, talked to the king about Shia belief and they said that the Shias uh, curse the Khulafa. And uh, the reason was given in Ziyarah Ashura, that uh, the same statement, And Allama Helli, when he went to the king, he said, who are these people that you are cursing? He said, well, the awwal zalim is, uh, is Qabil, who killed Habil. And then second and third. So, as I said, it is kept in a way that it would not hurt and insult the feelings of other Muslims. But keeping the history alive in the heart of the Shia. As I said, there is no hesitation or there is no uh, dispute about what Shias believe about the first three caliphs. We believe that Muslim made the wrong, wrong decision about them. However, because other people respect them to be, first of all, rightfully uh, elected to be caliphs and also respect them as absolutely immaculate people, is this right? Is it right for us to come out and start abusing them, cursing them in public? That's, that's completely wrong. Um, if a, a Sunni colleague of mine would say uh, that these th three immaculate personalities of our belief, um, yes, historically they were wrong, but they might have uh, they might have asked for forgiveness to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Um, so, and then he would try and tell me. Um, yes, I think Umar also at the last moment at his deathbed said that there's one thing that I re regret that I did was uh, upset uh, Lady Fatima salam, and uh, incident relating to her house. So he did ask for forgiveness. And then he would argue with me and said that for 25 years of a fourth caliph, Ali ibn Abi Talib and your first imam um, participated um, in, in, in the activities of the Ummah. Omar went and asked him several times for advice. Um, Ali ibn Abi Talib couldn't have been just sitting in his home. He participated, he went to the mosque, he prayed as well. And chances are that the first or the second Khalif led the prayers and Ali ibn Abi Talib prayed behind him. This, to me, it seems that it is a valid argument. How Would you want to comment on that? Well, the valid argument is that uh, it shows that our Ayyemah tried to keep the Ummah together. Yes. They, they, they didn't want to insult, they didn't want to uh, create uh, uh, disunity among the Ummah. That's, that's what we have to follow, certainly. Now, with regards to curse, of course, Allah says, Now, whether they repent or not, it, 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 it is with God. Okay. We are not the judges. We just say, Allahumma al-an awwala zalim zalama haqqa Muhammad. Now, Allah may say, 
Okay, although there were some people who did wrong, they repented, it's up to him. What is our duty is to disown those who do injustice. Our duty is to disown. What Allah does, how he judges, that's something different. However, I think we shouldn't raise these historical issues very much. These are actually past histories, nothing to do with our life today. Nothing to do with our situation today. It's absolutely past history. Why should we raise them again and again and again? Except with one fact that we want to, 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 to keep the right following, that we, we, may, we have to make sure that we follow the right people, isn't it? Now, if it's not the point of following, why we stress on IMS position as against other Companions, because we say we have to follow these if there is a dispute, not others. Otherwise, there is no other uh, practical, useful uh, result in all these disputes. And I think Imam Khomeini, I heard him several times saying, at least once I heard with my own ear, that these are past histories. We should not bring them up again and again because there is no use for us now to fight against each other to say that who should have been the successor of the Prophet. Just, just say last uh, very quick one from Sakina Bai because we are on the subject. Interesting discussion. Just want to ask you uh, about Dr. Zakir Nair, who is uh, such an intelligent person. He, not only in the Quran, but in the other Christianity and also in, in Hinduism, he would quote everything with reference when he comes on the TV. It's been watched by the majority of the people. He considered the event of Karbala, I think there was a statement some time ago uh, regarding the event of Karbala as a many, very uh, a fight. I mean, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was a small event which was fight between the two, two, two personalities. And this channel has been watched by many people, and even today, I mean, uh, um, uh, the, then the, uh, the whole history sort of would, in the people of, in the eyes of other people, would consider the event of Karbala as a very small thing. And uh, what would you, I don't know whether you heard about this event or whether you know about this personality, which is being watched on the TV for majority of the Muslims. So well, how would you... How I, would I don't you want e- to talk about the individuals, but uh, with regards to the statement, uh, the whole thing about Karbala is that we really want to, uh, to make this event alive to say that it was not a small incident. That, that's the whole idea of keeping the uh, the, the, the memory commemorating and uh, having the the, 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 the martam on in Ashura just to say that it was not a small thing. Now, of course, if we think of Hussein as an ordinary person, it was a small incident. It was insignificant. It was a small battle. Just 70 people came out and they were killed. However, now, for example, Allah mentions that he has cursed the Jews in the Quran because not because of killing Jesus because they said we killed Jesus because they boasted that we killed him we cursed them now just imagine had they killed him what would have happened 
if Muslims come out and say we killed Hussein salam, the grandson of the Prophet, the immaculate uh, soul, and then they say it's an insignificant thing, I think we are going into the line of the same people in the past. And as I said, the statement is absolutely wrong. Hussein was not an ordinary person to regard it as an insignificant, a small uh, incident happening uh, in a day, for example, uh, in, in Karbala. And uh, all our traditions from our Emma indicate us that you have to keep this as a very huge uh, uh, protrusion into the sanctity of Islam, killing someone like Hussein Abdali Ali One small question. Uh, Sorry, can I just say one small question? Uh, sorry about this. You know, the Ziyarati Ashura is divided into three. The last bit is the sijda. Isn't that important to do? Because you've, you've, you've cut it down to the salam, and then you have the problematic no, you dua, see, and then the it's, all, it's all important, but what yeah. is really authentic, I mean, the other parts may be, not be as authentic, but what is really authentic is up to that part which I mentioned. I, I, I'm not telling that from next week you recite Zara Ashura up to that point. No, I'm not telling that. So it shouldn't be misinterpreted. But this guide, this is a guideline for methods. So what you're saying? No, 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 no. I'm not giving any guidelines. So please do not, do not put it on me. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Majid Cheikh, and my apologies to the committee for overshooting the time much more than what we usually have. But it was an interesting discussion, and thanks for clarification. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully we. Uh, thank you, Majid. Muhammad Wa Ali, Muhammad Salwat, and so we meet in Shala next Sunday. Next Sunday. Thank you, Majid.